Whether you're starting a game or starting your day, you need to pick a starting lineup, and you're going to want the starter from Jack Black. Loaded with the superior skincare the pros love, Kings fans can get the starter for just $10, shipping included. Available exclusively at GetJackBlack.com with the code TEAMJB, the starter has four of Jack Black's best-selling skincare and shave products, plus a full-sized intense therapy lip balm, SPF 25, in natural mint. Here's to the winning combination for 2022, the LA Kings and the starter from Jack Black. $10 plus free shipping, available at GetJackBlack.com with the code TEAMJB while supplies last. This is Trevor Moore, and you're listening to All the Kings Men on the LA Kings Podcast Network. For more episodes of this and every other Kings program, visit LAKings.com slash podcast. Morgan skated it up the middle and coughed it up. The Kings keep control. Arvidsson behind his back to the nose. You're listening to All the Kings Men, the official podcast of the LA Kings. Here comes Trevor Moore into the zone. Moore shorthanded. Scores! Now, here's your host, Jesse Cohen. Welcome back, Kings fans. I am Jesse Cohen. This is All the Kings Men. You realize Kings return home from a road trip that failed to live up to the expectations set by their last perfect homestand, but the team still finds itself in second place in the Pacific Division by points earned, and they have five of their next six at home at Crypto.com Arena. Zach Dooley was on that road trip and joins me now to crown another King of the Week. Back from the road and joining me now to crown a King of the Week, Zach Dooley. How are you doing today, Zach? Jesse. Doing well. A little bit tired, I'll mm-hmm. be honest. Had a busy, busy weekend, but very excited to be asked back for King of the Week. I was wondering if I was banned from the program. <laughs> you were not. I'm just kidding. Uh, four games on the road. Uh, an up and down week. Like two games that I, from my perspective, three, you know, thousands of miles away from where the games were being played. Uh, two games that drove Kings fans crazy. Mm-hmm. One game that, that, Gave us a lot of hope and optimism and pride. Uh, and then one game that I am calling an absolute moral victory, but ultimately a disappointing end. Yeah, I think that's fair. Um, to me, I thought that the Calgary game was kind of just, uh, they weren't good, right? right? Like everyone said it. They knew they needed to be better. They weren't good. It was one of the lowest of the lows this year, but they still were right there to win it. Mm-hmm. The Edmonton game was the exact opposite. I thought it was the most emotional victory of the year at least from someone watching, it felt for the first time this year like there was an extra level of energy and meaning in the building. Felt, I mean, there are no playoff games in November, but it was the closest to that that we felt this year, I think, no doubt. And that was the the highest of the high, lowest of the low type thing. Probably two frustrating games, Vancouver and Seattle, but you're right, to get the point to claw back in Seattle, to respond the way that they did, to fight and claw and grind the way that they did on a night when it wasn't the most jointed effort of the season was something right it's there's nothing about moral victories really but it certainly felt a little better than just a 3-2 loss I can't remember at what point during the week it occurred to me but I was perusing the message boards and the social media sites you know reading all of the stuff that Kings fans were saying and at one point um, I don't remember if a fan pointed it out or if it occurred to me to go look, or maybe I just saw it when I was glancing at the standings. But at one point, the Kings were like 7-2-1 and one in their last 10. Entering the week, I think. Or okay. and, or after the Edmonton game, it was 7-2-1. Yeah, yes, yeah. I think it was <clears throat> going into the Vancouver game. Okay. And so I was like, to, said to myself, well, this is fascinating. Because reading the comments, m- many of which, for the record, I personally agreed with, 
and was experiencing frustration myself. And then I'm looking at it going, well, gosh, we're in second place. They're seven, two, and one in their last 10. And what are we even. What more could complain? you want? Yeah. What are we talking? Because yeah. to read some of these comments, you'd think that the wheels had already fallen off. Right, and that the ceiling had caved in. Not yet, that it was in the process of, but yet here it was we were, seven, seven, two, and one. Yeah, from the last ten. <clears throat> so, you know, I tried to maintain that perspective. And one of the things that I thought back to was Todd McClellan last. I think it was last year. He introduced to us the idea of the A game and the B game. Mm-hmm. And I would argue that the Kings this season, maybe not in this past four games. But this season, they have won more games when playing their B game than not. And that is a difference from previous seasons. From, like, say, for example, the first two seasons of Todd McClellan's tenure. Probably the... Meaning it's a continuation from last year type thing? Or meaning it's... Meaning when they show up and they don't have their best game, they can still win. Whereas, you know, when... 2018-19, 2018-19, if yeah. they didn't have that, they might have that and lose. Right. Now it's, you know, they don't need, they can win. Yeah, I think that's fair to say. Um, I think the Seattle game, they didn't win, but it was a good example of a night when it wasn't the best performance that they've had all year. Um, they, I thought the effort was was there in spades, um, but it wasn't the cleanest by any means. It was a tough game to play. Second half of back-to-back with travel, back end of a three and four, back end of a four and six, all the above, yada, yada against a team that mucks it up. They make it difficult to play against them. Um, and they found a way to get a point on the road. And I think there is definitely something to be said for that. And like you said, yeah, in past years, they, they probably lose in regulation. We had uh, Jim Fox on while you were on the road. Jim called in from the road. And now I'm completely blanking, of course, on why I brought Jim up. So I'll just pivot to a, he, different, he was to there. a different thought he, he was, was here <laughs> um, i'll come back to it as soon as it occurs to me but that seattle game oh this is why there you go see huh. uh jim said at one point that the talk of identity it's about time to stop right and i i didn't ask him for clarification so apologies i'm going to speak on behalf of jim for a moment here and try and interpret what i think he meant or what it meant to me when he said it it's 20 games now or is it 20 21 21 um so at this point, right, every season at the beginning of the season, people say, all right, well, let's give it to the 20-game mark before we yeah. give serious evaluations. Mm-hmm. This is sort of what we're doing here. Um, that Seattle game, to me, was a perfect encapsulation of what this team has been in the first 21 games of the season. At the end of the first period, I assumed that the Kings were going to lose by way of a shutout to Martin Jones, partially because it was Martin Jones and, you know, what do you want to call it, superstition or observation bias whatever he's been incredibly good against the kings Very. and in that first period seattle was so dominant that i just thought well okay back to backs four out of six it's at all the things you just listed i'm calling this one a night and i'm just i'm not getting my hopes up and then they clawed back and stole a point as far as i'm concerned with an incredible performance over the following two periods what's interesting was i thought that the first period in vancouver and the first period in seattle were somewhat similar in mm-hmm. the fact that the kings didn't do this they just weren't clean and you can say it for a number of reasons a lot of that can probably be said to opponent but then you got to the second and both games it was one zero the kings were down but the seattle game they killed a penalty that they didn't kill in vancouver they got you know, maybe a, a key block or a key save or a key clear that they didn't get in Vancouver. And they just hung on and hung on and hung on until they finally got one late in the second period, likely from players that we're going to mention during this King of the Week segment. 
and they found a way back into the game. And it just felt like there was the opportunity for that game to go exactly the way the Vancouver game did a four, one loss where they maybe score one. That's a consolation goal, but they hung around. They kept it one zero players did what they needed to do. And they eventually got the point because they were able to keep that game one zero. And I think that was more important than people might give it credit for was keeping it where it was until they could find a way to get one. There were some questions asked uh, on the last homestand um, to Matt Roy and Todd McClellan. And the question was, why, when you're limiting chances against, does it seem to go hand in hand with limiting chances for? And that, as silly as it may sound, felt like the difference to me between the Vancouver game and the Seattle game. Because Seattle played that big, heavy, low-scoring style, at least in the first period, um, it felt to me easier to climb back in the game, whereas Vancouver, and this maybe this isn't even accurate, maybe it's just my perception, because Vancouver wants to play a higher-scoring up-tempo style uh, on a night where the Kings weren't able to match it. They got their doors blown off. I actually disagree because I thought the Kings generated a lot of chances in Vancouver. At and the I end thought, of the game, they absolutely did. I thought yeah. the last 40, they yeah. they generated a lot. Like, the shots on goal were like 9-0 Kings. Mm. Go, and then the first shot the other way was in to make it 2-0. Like, it was... The Kings were onslaughting at the beginning of the second... The first period, not at all. Right. But that Fiala chance with one second left, from that point on, I thought the Kings generated... A lot of chances, but then you had, you know, this is what you said two years ago was a lot of chances, no finish. Mm -hmm. I thought that was that kind of night, and the Kings just couldn't get him to go. Uh, I thought they had a lot of great A looks in that game, and they they scored on none of them. Well, at 21 games, uh, the Kings find themselves still very much, you know, secure in uh, in the divisional standings. Um, not going to worry about actual standings because points point percentage the kings still have played more games than almost everybody else just put them in the bank at this point yeah exactly yep, what, did, what did uh todd mcclellan say um trent yanni said don't don't analyze uh, a win. don't just, overanalyze yeah. a win you just take the points take and points. you move on and but the kings are uh for the record the team with the most games played in the nhl at 21 so. and the most road games played yeah. at 12 um and i've heard todd repeat both at home and on this road trip, that the schedule breaks the way it breaks, and uh, it breaks for everybody. So mm -hmm. down the stretch, presumably the Kings, more rest and uh, more home games. So let's get into King of the Week, Zach Dooley. We'll start with honorable mention. Who is your honorable mention for King of the Week? So I'm going to go with two different ones. Um, oh, okay, cheating. All right. Only one <laughs> is going to be my real one, and one okay. is going to be a shot at you. Sure. Um, <laughs> first one, I'm going I'm to go with Alex Edler. Okay. Um, Alex, I hope that's not the shot at It is me. not. Alex right. Edler is not at all. Um, <laughs> okay. This was a week for me that if you looked at the way Alex Edler played and you're a person who appreciates his style of play, you'd walk away like, yeah, it was a good week for Alex Edler. And then you look at the possession metrics and you'd say, okay, over the four games, Alex Edler led all defensemen in Corsi 4 percentage and scoring chance percentage and was just a tick below Matt Roy in high danger percentage. And you're like, oh, it was a really good week for Alex Edler. And then you look at the raw stats when I was looking, okay, who's my king of the week? Alex Edler had three points from four games. And you're like, damn, this is a really good week for Alex Edler. I, I just thought that he was himself, um, but he was really, really good in Seattle. Um, he didn't get an assist on that tying goal in the second period, but he kept that puck alive like three or four times to lead to that goal. I, I thought he had such a good week. And 
won't get talked about it for it. So he's he's my honorable mention. I think that's an excellent pick, and I will take a shot at the message board warriors and social. There media were a lot of denizens. people <laughs> not happy with Alex Edler, Very and enough. man, I I thought he was as good as he's been all I year, agree. and I thought that all of the numbers supported that. I agree. I think that's an excellent pick. What's your second one that's a shot at me? So my second one um, is strictly tied to the Calgary game, mm-hmm. and it's the guy who didn't yell shoot on the power play. <laughs> Because there was, what, six one-touch passes leading uh-huh. to Arthur Kaliev's goal. And if someone was yelling shoot on the power play there, that one Kings fan in the building wouldn't have scored. So I'm glad that that person that was there did not yell shoot, leading to the best power play goal of the year. So he also deserves an honorable mention. I'm, I, I'm going to now explain this because I saw somebody on Twitter who I think misunderstood my constant uh, tweets about yelling shoot. Uh, the joke is, and Jim Fox mentioned it actually on our uh, Twitter space that we did with him, he said he also is a yell shoot person. Um, <laughs> and this is a shot at Jim Fox as well. Well, but I want to make it clear <laughs> because I've seen the arguments, you know, don't, you know, and I, there was a TikTok recently or a reel or something where it was a hilarious, a hockey a, hilarious. account where it was a player saying, like, oh gosh, thanks. I didn't know, et cetera, et cetera. <laughs> and to that, <laughs> that video all, is awesome. Yeah. Well, it, I suppose. Um, but it, it angered me. Um, cool. be, all right. Because. <laughs> Uh, here's the thing. I understand when I'm yelling shoot why, and Jim said this more eloquently than I could. I get why they're not shooting. The lane is clogged. It's not available to them. There's an open man to pass. Like I get it. The, the yelling shoot isn't telling them in this moment, I am playing coach and I am instructing you as I would, if I were playing, you know, NHL 23 to shoot the puck right now, I'm expressing my frustration that you haven't taken a shot in a while. And (laughs) And all I want to see when I go to a hockey game as a passionate fan who might not be, uh, you know, aware of the finer details of the game is shots and hits. It's like the guy who says, hit, hit somebody and your team has the puck. And you're like, come on, guy. But it's just a, it's just my way of telling the team I love them. That's And all. I'm going to continue to make fun of <laughs> That's you fine. It. That's perfectly fine. All right. My uh, honorable mention is Cal Peterson. Yep. Yeah. Uh, played, if I, I could have had three, that, yeah. I was between the two when I was pondering this morning. Because he played two games and went 1-0-1, which is great. And like I said, I do believe he stole that point or was part of the theft of that point. Huge part of it. Against Seattle. And he did exactly what he needed to do in the Edmonton game. And a really strong week. And I've heard a number of people say that they thought the Seattle game, or at least the most of the Seattle game, was his strongest game of the season. And coming back after the performance against Edmonton, I think that's tremendously important. And he remains tremendously important. And uh, good job, Cal Peterson. Couldn't agree more. Um, A stat that I found that I Mm -hmm. thought was interesting is going into the Seattle game, Peterson's last four starts from the Toronto game through Edmonton, Mm -hmm. ranked third in the league in five-on-five save percentage. That's great. It was like 960. Really good. Um, Of the 11 goals he allowed in that span, seven were power play or advantage the other team one was at the goalie pulled only four of them were even strength another just one in the seattle game so i think he's really starting to put some quality starts together and that's what the kings need they need both goalies going and a well-deserved honorable mention totally agree all right your runner-up then my runner-up um is going to be victor arvidson okay uh five assists from four games and this is the reasoning for my king of the week as well but i'm going to use it here because we go in reverse order and it's not just that he had five assists, but it's the importance of the five assists. The Kings won three to one in Edmonton, two of their three points. Victor Arvidsson had three assists, so he accounted for part of all three goals. 
He also had an assist in Seattle, where the Kings got their third point of the trip. A very, very important assist, a spinorama playmaking pass to Phil Deneau late in the second when the Kings needed a goal when they got it. Um, he was a huge part of that. Um, so I'm going to go with Victor Arvidsson, not just for the quantity of points, which was there, but also the quality and how important each of his points were towards the Kings getting the points they got. He was my runner-up, too, which means that we both have the same King of the Week. So of I'm going to take this opportunity yeah, there to go. talk there about Phil Deneau. Oh, then I'll that... make him my runner-up. Okay, okay, um, okay. No, I'm not going to. Yeah. Let's not okay. get crazy. All right, all right. We're, we're on the same page here. <laughs> but I just, you know, I wanted to acknowledge Cal Peterson. I'm glad you mentioned Alex Edler, and I'm glad you mentioned Victor Arvidsson. I'll just glow about Victor Arvidsson a second before I get yep, to know. Sure. Um, I said earlier in the year, sort of jokingly on Twitter, that I wanted to move away from using the word best. Because it doesn't ever actually mean anything. And I frequently find myself saying, okay, let me rephrase. When I say, you know, vanilla is the best flavor. And somebody says, you're an idiot. What does that even mean? And I go, all right, let me rephrase. So <laughs> Might what, as well just start with the rephrase. Yes, right? probably. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, it's a work, I'm a work in progress. Now. We're getting there. We're getting there. <laughs> um, so when I say Victor Arvidsson is the best playmaker, what I think I mean usually is he is the player that I see most consistently turning his offensive aggression into scoring plays that involve teammates. Sure. Whereas a guy like Kevin Fiala, who makes incredible passes, frequently is doing something, you know, um, well, what's the word uh, for, a, for a talented individual? Uh, not maestro, but like, uh, anyway, it doesn't matter. Fiala is doing something think, crazy think a impressive. Is a, is a good word. Yeah. And then out of nowhere, he finds an open man with yeah. a pass and you go, oh my God, I had no idea that that was even possible. The goal that, that Deneau scored uh, against Seattle was a play where Deneau was moving in concert with Arvidsson. Yes. They were operating as a unit, and then Arvidsson made the pass, which in my mind is the difference between being a playmaker and making an unbelievable play. It's a silly, subtle distinction, but I think it's what I mean when I say that I believe that Arvidsson is the best playmaker. Fiala is... I think unquestionably the most gifted solo performer. I think Arvidsson is the most consistent player who uses his line and his teammates in concert with his own efforts. Um, and it, and I really appreciate it. it. I enjoy it. And I find it very funny that some people, Jim Fox included, who disagreed with me when we <laughs> read, had him on recently. Um, <clears throat> my father is another one of those people there's just this idea that, like, no, he's a shooter. He's a goal scorer. He's a volume shooter, so that's what he should do, volume shoot. And in my mind, I don't understand American football very well, so if what I'm about to say doesn't make sense, feel free to correct me. In My, my understanding of football is that you use the run to set up the pass or vice versa. I believe that part of what makes Victor Arvidsson so effective at you using his teammates in his passing game is the fact that he is a volume shooter. You don't know what he's about to do. Because he will fire it from anywhere at any time, or he will find that open man with a cross crease pass. He's like a, a running back who catches passes. Is kind, of, I think. Yeah, is like yeah, he's a running back, but he also will have seventy receptions, and is like, oh, well, why does he have seventy receptions? Right, he's running back. Yeah, I don't know that this stat holds up anymore. I think it does. In the last two seasons, this the first twenty one games of this season and the full eighty two from last season. Do you know, I mean, obviously you're going to know the answer to this based on our conversation, but do you know who leads the team in five-on-five five primary assists? Um, Victor Arvidsson. It's Victor Arvidsson, and I think he's tied for second if you include special teams. So, like, 
Anyway, I love Victor Arvidsson. But I said I was going to talk about Phil Deneau for my run rounds. So I'm going to talk about Phil Deneau. Um, listen, the things that Victor Arvidsson and Trevor Moore do are possible in part because of what Phil Deneau does. Mm-hmm. And in a game where they did not appear to be even in the game against Seattle in that first period, I have to believe that that fight back, that that battle back over the next 40 minutes. I mean, it was a team effort, obviously, but we've seen in the locker room, we've seen on the ice, he wears an A on his sweater for a reason. Phil Deneau has become a huge part of this team. And uh, and I just really like Phil Deneau. And somebody told me on a message board that my constant adoration of Phil Deneau annoys them. So this is also partially this is for you. (laughs) I mean, hard to on a different week. You could have just we could have done this segment two minutes and just used the nice line as one, two, three. Glad we went another way. We got a lot more conversation out of it. But yeah, I mean, Deneau, he didn't have the five points that the other guys had, but he was such a big part, I think, of of like what you said in that Seattle game specifically and, Mm -hmm. and the Edmonton game. So then, of course, that leads us to the king of the week, and there's no question that we have the same person. So Right. It is obviously Trevor Moore. Yeah. Um, no doubt about it. First career hat trick in the win over Edmonton. Um, got his first shorthanded goal of the year in the overtime loss to Seattle. Um, changed the game completely in Edmonton twice, um, and felt like he almost changed the game in Seattle as well. So he had an excellent week, was vintage Trevor Moore. Even if he had zero points, I think he still had a good week. Uh, it's just how he plays. The motor is unbelievable on that player. So great job, Trevor Moore. Um, not much more you can say. He was just not much more you can say. <laughs> yeah. He was that good. Uh, Trevor Moore is, and I'm going to try not to veer dangerously into like wild hyperbole. Trevor Moore is why people like sports. This is a guy who less than a calendar year ago wasn't somebody that I thought of as a serious piece of this team's future contention status. He was a nice little piece. It was a fun note in a trade where he'd say, okay, well, we got rid of a fan favorite and a backup goalie who went on to be quite good. And we got, you know, a draft pick and a thing. And we got, we got Trevor Moore. Trevor, he's, he's a local boy. It's a good story. He plays hard. You know, maybe he'll turn into a guy that we fondly think of in the list of like third line Kings that were great or, or very good. Um, but he's incredible. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, he really is. Isn't he? And, <laughs> and I don't know what it was about December, 2021 or January, 2022, whenever you want to, you know, credit the start, but he's just a completely different player and mm-hmm. it's so much fun to watch. And he's so much fun to watch and he doesn't appear to be, uh, you know, rude about it for lack of a better word. Um, he seems he seems to be the same person and the same player he was before, just having incredible yeah. success and building off like that shorthanded goal was just. You know, there had been conversations a game before. Why isn't Trevor Moore killing more? I think even in that game, why isn't Trevor Moore killing more penalties? Didn't he have a bunch of shorthanded goals the year before? And no sooner had people said it than he scores another shorthanded goal. Yeah. Um, almost identical to the one, uh, or maybe I'm remembering wrong, but it wasn't, it was Pittsburgh or Boston last year. He scored a, I mean, they all look somewhat the same, but that shot, you know, top... I don't think that one was shorthanded, but I think he did score a very similar goal. Yeah, he had okay. two goals in that Pittsburgh game on yeah. the road. And I think he had one, yeah, kind of lean to the right, pop mm-hmm. it back over the blocker. Yeah. Yeah. So like I said, 
this is why people like sports. If every if the best team won every year, if Sidney Crosby and Connor McDavid traded Stanley Cup victories and the first overall draft pick in every sport wound up going to the Hall of Fame and that was it, then okay, we'd all be Yankees fans, no offense. And uh and you know, we'd all root for Brazil in the World Cup and, you know, the Lakers in the NBA and that and it would be boring. But every now and then a Trevor Moore comes along and uh and is great. You do such a good job of taking these wide-ranging <laughs> These these just abstract paintings mm-hmm. and then tying it back into the point. Well, thanks. <laughs> and you, you you do it well. And well, I appreciate you it. You sold me. All right, perfect. Well, in that case, congratulations, Trevor Moore. This week's King of the Week. Now, Zach, I'm actually tracking King of the Week a lot better than I have in the past. So, oh, we're still going? Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. The, yeah, I played them sound effects. Oh, you, now, you now played back right. in. Cut for me a, out saying the sound effects. Yeah, no, yeah. I usually cut do. me out, yeah. and I usually cut myself out saying, and then a little sound plays. Dun, 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 okay, dun, yeah. Dun, dun. <clears throat> anyway, uh, six weeks in six kings of the week. Uh, any, any, uh, you may or may not remember, but any guesses as to how many repeat kings of the week we have? Talking number one, yeah, person only. Mm-hmm. Wouldn't surprise me if we had zero. We have one. One. And it's only this week that he's been. The Trevor Moore has Trevor all, Moore because uh, I guess that that one week he had a, a massive week mm-hmm. the the first trip. Yeah, the kings of the week have been Velarde, Moore, Dino, Fiala, Quick, and again Trevor Moore. And we've had uh, Kopitar, Dino, Velarde, Quick, Dino, Fiala, Moore, Kopitar, Clark, <laughs> uh, Roy, Peterson, Grundstrom, Kaliev. Uh, don't think oh Peterson and Edler. I said Peterson already. So I mean we've gotten a pretty good spread. It's a pretty I good think. smattering of that of the team, right? Yeah. And I'm also keeping points. One point for... It's like a three-star Honorable mention. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So we'll be updating that as the season goes on. I actually on. really like that. Uh, this is Thanksgiving week, so only two games. Home against New York and road against San Jose? Road against San Jose. And if you count Sunday as the last day of the week, it's three, but we don't. So I am I am going to push off the 20-game evaluation conversation for, I think, at least one more game. And then... Do it at Thanksgiving. How does that feel to you? Sounds sounds good. Yeah. Sounds good. I it's weird because it's just an arbitrary number, right? right 20, absolutely. 20 games is an arbitrary mark that we set. It's I don't know if it's one that, that anyone else sets. Um but yeah, I think that's I think that's fair. See how the Rangers game goes. Um one that was a big win for this team last year, and now they have five of six at home, six of six in California. So a a good chance to see kind of what what things look like when they settle down after this this extensive start to the year. And obviously a tremendous homestand last time they did it. So we hope that they will uh, repeat that performance. We're going to take a break right now. When we come back, Zach and I will talk to Men on Realm. Men on Realm joins us again. How are you doing today, Men on? I'm doing well. Or I should say... Uh, <laughs> I've for now utterly forgotten the phrase. That Maybe was, you shouldn't say I shouldn't it because you don't know, know it. Comment ça va, that's what I meant to say. Ça va très bien. All right, bien. Um, so coming up in December, the rivalry series is coming to Crypto.com Arena, USA versus Canada, women's hockey. Uh, what is your level of participation in planning this event? No, it, it's great to to be part of that. I think it's so important, uh, part of growing the game, actually. Uh, girls hockey is probably the fastest growing segment of USA hockey. And part of growing the game for those young girls is to have access to those players and be able to see, because when you see it, you believe it. Um, so, uh, having that game here, I think it's going to be 
uh, very important for those young girls, and not just for girls. Uh, my son, like every time I watch a Canada-USA women's game, he watch it too, and uh, he's interested in, in watching the game because it's such a great rivalry. The last Olympics, they had a record numbers of viewers in the U.S. Three point, I think, five four million people watched that game. So people are interested in women's hockey. Now, Zach, are you going to judge me if I root for Canada when these games are happening? Without a doubt. <laughs> Though you, you, I think, are eligible to do so. All right. Because you have both, right? You're US no, and... I was just born in Canada. Yeah, so I'm you were born, in, US born in Canada, but yeah. you've lived in the U.S. I, I, think you're, I think you're good because you were eligible to play for Team Canada if you were That's better fair. at hockey. All right. Yeah. Will you be rooting for Canada? You know, it's funny. Every time someone asks me that, I'm from Canada. I'm born there. I play for Canada, the Olympics. Uh, I have dual citizenship. Both my son play for the U.S. team, <laughs> and I coach a lot of those girls that are mm-hmm. on the U.S. team right now. So it's always a mixed emotion between both country, my country where I'm born and who I play for, my kids who they're playing for. So I always hope for a great hockey game for both of them. That's a very polite answer. Absolutely. But, uh, yeah. <laughs> Not really what we're Well, looking. I'm going to root for the USA. Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah personally. Sure. You should. You should. Yeah. Um, so when it comes to bringing a game like this to Southern California, L.A. specifically, we, you know, we talk about growing the game all the time here at the Kings because it's it's not just a benefit right to the community, but it's also it's important for us from a business standpoint. Our customers are hockey fans. We want more hockey fans so that we can have more customers. But we also want more people playing the game. I've long believed that the way to grow the fan base is to get more people involved at a non-theoretical level playing the game living the game breathing the game from your perspective how important is it to give girls something to look up to right something to aspire to and show them it's possible you it this can be you it, it is so important i remember when i was young and i started playing hockey i was the only girl in quebec playing hockey with boys and mm. i never saw women playing in the nhl i never saw you know women's hockey at the elite level so I was just playing the game because I loved it, but I didn't have a dream of anything else than playing at that moment. And uh, I soon I heard that someone was talking about they had like a national team. And I think it's in 1990 uh, when the first world championship was. And I'm like, where did those girls came from? Like, I didn't even know it existed, but it become my dream to make it to the national team, to make it to the Olympics. And when you have those dreams, and especially on the boys' side, uh, on the men's side, a lot of people said no to me because I was a woman, and that kept me going. When I wanted to quit the game because people kept saying, no, 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 we don't want you there, uh, knowing that maybe one day I can play on a national team that can go to the Olympics kept me going. And I think that with hockey, I learned so many great life lessons that I know how important it is for young girls to participate in sports. So a couple of years ago, the rivalry series came to Anaheim. Um, it was in, I think it was a Friday night, and I was really disappointed I couldn't go because the Ontario Rain had a game that I had to work. But there was twelve, thirteen thousand fans at that game. It was an incredible crowd to see it come to a market like LA that doesn't always get the chance to see the top level of women's players play. How important is that, and how cool of an opportunity is that? For an area that does have a really, you know, growing program in the LA Lions, it's really important and it's really cool for those young girls uh, to have the chance to see those best women hockey player and just hockey fan in general. Like the Canada USA women's game, it's probably one of the best rivalry 
in sports, it's always close game. It's always those two, except I think two times in world championship and Olympics that you didn't see a Canada USA final. You never know who's going to win. No matter who has the best record going into that season, it can change in the final and you never disappointed. Every single game, those two teams play each other. They go at each other. Um, women's hockey doesn't have body checking, but it's pretty physical. Something Sometimes you wonder. Sometimes that game does. Yeah. <laughs> I've seen those Because games, it gets, yeah. and, and it's so cool too. A lot of those women are really good friends off the ice, but they get on the ice and it's like, you think it's full on body checking because this is how the rivalry is. And it, it, it's a lot of fun to watch. So we're not just bringing it up for fun. Tickets go on sale. We would encourage everybody listening to this to go buy some. And if you do get a ticket, and I'm I'm planning on being there, I'm assuming you are as well. Mm-hmm. I will be yeah, there yeah, for course. sure. <laughs> <laughs> so, what are some of the names for those who might want to come watch this game? What are some names that that are planned scheduled to be in the game that people need to know about? Obviously, Hillary Knight, Kendall Coin, like two names that you're uh, Kendall Coin a few years ago at the All Star Game. You know, she did that uh, race. Uh, she's such a fast uh, player. I got a chance to coach her when she was 12 years old. And it's funny because I remember her walking into the rink and she had a little uh, baseball cap backward and tiny little thing. And uh, I was so impressed with her. I knew at that age she would go far, not just in hockey, but in life because she was so driven. She was the best player on my team, but she was the hardest worker. And I always remember, like, she's going to do something with her life to be driven like this. And I remember one day, my one of the coach I was coaching with was looking for players to add on to our team. And I said, I know this girl's right now that she's playing boys, but she can also play girls hockey. So I'll see if she can come. And when she showed up at the ring, that coach looked at me and like, are you serious? You brought this little girl here? And I'm like, wait to see her play. And as soon as she stepped on the ice, the first face off, the puck was in the corner. She was the first one there. Look at me. It's like, we're all good. <laughs> She's a great player. So, you know, people like that. Hilary Knight beat all kind of record. And, you know, the Los Olympics and World Championship of number of, of points score. Uh, obviously, you see her in different, like, social media uh, thing with EA Sports. And, uh, and it's fun for those girls because now they get to see them in social media, t- hear about them. But now they're going to have the chance to watch them play. Jim Fox always says to us that by the age of 18, you're basically who you are as a skater. You think that's true now, since we're talking about kind of the coin? You know, I, I think that on the woman's side, the difference, I think, between the men and, and the women at women's size at the age of 18, you pretty much, you know, the size you're going to be because most girls grew younger, mm-hmm. like grew at their limit younger than, than guys. So I think, but depending on the training you put in, like, I don't know, if you see Kendall Coyne, our training off ice, it's absolutely amazing. She had her husband, who's a football player, on her shoulder doing squat one time. And I'm thinking to myself, she trains so hard. And that's the way those women can get faster. It's getting, you know, bigger and stronger. And those women are absolutely amazing. What they do off ice, that was not what we were doing, (laughs) you know, years ago when I play at that level. So uh, we've got Hillary Knight, we've got Kendall. Uh, any other big names that, or young names on the rise that people should know about? Yeah, they have some young uh, girls that played the last um, World Championship that finally got some chances uh, to to get to play. Like I think that at the Olympic game um, on the U.S. side, they they 
pretty much stay with all the veterans and the last world championship, they really got to give a chance of those young girls coming up. And uh, Hannah had a lot of success uh, at the last uh, world championship. What about the Canada side? Well, we got two teams. We don't, we don't, we don't on this side of the table here want to root for the Canadian side, but some excellent players there. If there's anyone, you know, of note. Absolutely. Marie-Philippe Poulain, the captain of Team Canada. Of Not only, uh, obviously, she's a captain of the team, but she finds a way to score the key goal uh, every Olympics World Championship. If that goes on overtime, if she doesn't score, she's got an assist on the goal because she's, she's just that kind of player. Like, she's the best Canadian player right now. And you have Anne-René Desbiens in that that has been giving a nightmare to the U.S. team, especially the last game uh, at the World Championship, the last World Championship, uh, her play. She's very solid goaltender, especially when it comes to the big game. Um, and I think on the U.S. side and the goaltending side, like you, you've got a mix of two or three goalies that's been rotating and they have a lot of good goalie, but not one specific on the Canadian side is always Anne-René Desbiens for now. Um, in those big games. Every time I watch Poulin play, it's like that's the best player on the ice. Every, I can't say I've watched every game they've played, but it's every time she's just so good. She's so good, and she what it is with her is she come big in big moment. I, I think she's got the record of uh, overtime goal score uh, in a rivalry series, but also in the World Championship and the, in the, the Olympic Games. So she's very special. Uh, she got a chance to work for the Canadian Montreal in player development too so um and i saw her a few times making move uh, in front of those guys and <laughs> she's amazing when it comes to events like this <clears throat> i know that part of the equation is planning it and part of the equation is inviting it so when did this hit your radar that it might be a possibility that this event would take place in la Oh, it's been a few months that we've been talking about it and, and working through all the detail. Uh, what I learned is uh, with the business side, it's not just like, oh, you want this game and you make it happen. I have a lot of things. Uh, but we want to make it like where it's going to be a big event, not just this hockey game, but having some kind of clinics and having we're going to have access of those players so people can meet them. And uh, because it's one thing to watch them play, but I think those women have some great story that they can share with people and with young girls and, and really inspiring them. So it's not going to be just a game like you're going to have to be to look out to some clinics and having the chance to to meet them in person. Is Are you going to be out there with Daryl running any clinics? <laughs> I'm sure he'll be out yeah. there. I'll be out there. <laughs> and some of those women will be out there. You've been that, that young girl, right, who... How much more impactful would it have been to have seen and been on the ice with a player like that and then like, oh, now I really want to go and watch them play? Like how how much even better would that have amplified it? That would have been amazing to have that chance to do this when I was young. Like I said so many times because I was the only girl with the boys that some coaches didn't want me. And you, you kind of get discouraged. Like you, you feel alone. And my idols growing up was Danielle Bouchard, the Quebec Nordics goaltender. Like, because I didn't have anybody to look up to. Yeah. And having the chance to for those young girls to have a female to look up to and feel like they're not alone. And, and hear their story, too, because every one of those women have a different story. Some of them start playing with the boys. Some of them start playing with the women. Some of them, you know, they the last few years have been really hard because you don't have a professional league where you can 
just play hockey and train. So what they do, they have one, two, three jobs. They train. And I remember hearing the story about Mary Philip Pillai showing up at 10 p.m. at night at a rink. And someone saw her in the media and said, what are you doing? And she's like, I work all day. It's my only time I can train at 10 p.m. at night on the ice. And you think, this is crazy. She's the best female hockey player in the world having to train at 10 p.m. So hearing those stories, I think, are very, because a lot of girls can relate to that. Like, so, and it's inspiring and you feel you're not alone. And I think this is why it's important for them to have access to them. So the game is December 19th, USA versus Canada, and you can purchase tickets at uh, lakings.com slash rivalry series. I think they're $20, which is pretty good, pretty good value considering the level of hockey you're going to see. Manon, we appreciate your time as always. And uh, again, go get your tickets to the rivalry series December 19th, and we'll catch up with you before then, I'm sure. That's good. Thank you.